Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. A good looking crowd this morning. Come out to worship the Lord. Pray that uh, God will speak to your heart this morning as he spoke to mine. As I prepared this message, was sharing with a, a couple of gentlemen earlier. And we'll share with you, obviously, the sermon. But uh, God began to move on Wednesday night uh, in the middle of the song service. He gave me uh, this sermon. Uh, I'd been working on one, and it ended up being a piece of this sermon. I had no idea. And uh, God just moves in miraculous ways. If you were here last week, you would remember that we talked about dry bones, dry bones rattling, and that... God took Ezekiel out to the valley of dry bones and he worked through Ezekiel and raised those dry bones up. Bones that were, had been there for years. They were so dried out, they were rotting and disappearing. And yet God, through Ezekiel, preaching and prophesying to them, raised them up and breathed life into them. And raised up a great army. And if this were a movie, then we're going to see the prequel. Because what had led to that valley of dry bones is really a horrendous thing. It's a horrible thing that happened that brought about that valley of dry bones. God had prophesied it uh, many years ago. We have to back up, clear back into uh, the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah's st story is told. Jeremiah uh, was a prophet in Israel. He prophesied in Israel for 40 years, right in Jerusalem. Probably would have spoke inside the temple, the temple of Solomon that they were so proud of. Jeremiah was there. He was preaching. He was sharing the gospel. God had warned them and was warning them through Jeremiah for 40 years that the Babylonians were coming to destroy Jerusalem. And Jeremiah had been faithful to share what God had given him. And he had not one convert. Nobody in 40 years. In fact, if Jeremiah were to start a church, you probably wouldn't attend it. Part of the reason that you're here, most of you, the reason you're here is you feel the Spirit of God in this place, and that's not accidental. It's because people spend time with him. They seek his face, and they look for him. And God moves in our midst. Jeremiah spent time with God. No doubt the Spirit of God was with him, but the people rejected him. They rejected him to the point that they hated him. They hated Jeremiah. They hated Jeremiah so bad that they caught him out one day, snatched him, and threw him in the sewer. It says he sunk in the mud, the muck. Why? Because he told them the truth. He literally was preaching the truth to them, what God had given him to give to them. And they hated him so much, they threw him in a cistern. The king heard about it. King Zedekiah, he heard about it. He had just enough mercy on Jeremiah, knowing he was a man of God. See, he was sick of hearing about it from him as well. But he sent 30 men to pull him up out of that pit 
and put him in prison. He didn't let him go. He didn't send him back out to continue to tell it. But he sent Jeremiah to prison, put him in jail, as had been prophesied for 40 years. If you go back and study it, really over 100 years, God had been warning Jerusalem. That's a pretty patient God. 40 years is pretty patient. One man walks the streets, stands in the pulpit, and warns the people. Now they've rejected that man and God's word, put him in prison, thrown him in the muck, and the Babylonians show up and siege the city. Just as God had told them and they had rejected. They begin to siege the city. And you would think, well, let's release the man of God. He told the truth and let's start listening to him. But that's not what they did. They left him in prison. It got to the point where the king was a little bit worried. So he called for Jeremiah to come to him. Jeremiah came to the king and said, why do you bring me out? You didn't listen to me then and you're not going to listen to me now. And the king said, but I want to hear what God has to say. And God did answer. God, through his servant Jeremiah, told the king, surrender, and you and your family will be saved. The old king couldn't release his power. Old Zedekiah, man, he's the king. He's the king of a dying town, a city, but he's not going to let go. And it was to his great detriment. Zedekiah held on till the last. For two years, Jerusalem was sieged. And now, as Jerusalem falls, the king, through his secret passageway, slips out of the city and runs with his guard. Problem is, the guard was sick of the king and his holding on to power, and they deserted him and left him out in the open on his own. And the Babylonians captured him. And now they've got him. He could have surrendered. God had told him what to do and what would happen. But in his power, refusal to let it go, now he's been caught in the open. The Babylonians took him, bound him, and before him slaughtered his children. They slaughtered his sons in front of him. And immediately following that, they put out his eyes so that the last thing Zedekiah ever saw was his children being slaughtered in front of him. God had told him to surrender, and he refused to follow God. He had refused for many years before that, and now he's refused to follow God. I went back and done a little checking. How did they put the eyes out? Because it couldn't have been, you know, nice and easy. No, they either gouged them out, took a hot poker and burned them out, or boiled vinegar and poured in their eyes. Not sure how they put Zedekiah's eyes out, but it wasn't easy and it wasn't, pain, it wasn't painless. It was painful. All could have been avoided. Not only that, 
You see, today, right now, you, every now and then you hear warnings. Hey, shortages. And everybody runs to the toilet paper aisle. And then there's none to buy. Right? Or the eggs, or the milk, the produce, whatever it is, we all run and get something. But for two years, there weren't any supplies coming in, nothing going out of Jerusalem. And it was way beyond toilet paper and deodorant and toothpaste, food. The Bible records that mothers were cannibalizing their children to survive. It was horrible. And Zedekiah could have avoided that. But he refused when God told him to surrender. And now he's watched his own children be slaughtered in front of him. See, they didn't go hungry during that two years while everybody else did. What a horrible scene. Rejecting God. He's warned us and warned us. And I wonder, in our day and time, how many of us are not listening to God? God has warned. There is warnings out. If you're listening, and from the pulpit, the truth is being preached, there's a day of the Lord coming. And we need to be prepared. Turn loose of this world. Turn loose of our power and our things and let's prepare for the day of the Lord because it is coming strange thing during this time Jeremiah was in prison now I'm sure they didn't take good care of him it wasn't a pleasant place but the king had to feed him you see that's how he got fed God put him and allowed him to be in prison he had to be fed during this time and God had put him in this but when this siege is over, the king is gone. He's ran. Jerusalem has fallen. And now Jeremiah is released from prison. And he walks out of prison into a devastated city. A horrible situation. Something I don't think that we probably can grasp. The stench of dead humans, the waste of the city, the burnt buildings. This is what Jeremiah is released into. He's only followed God's lead for 40 years, warning of it. And now he's released out of prison and he sees it right before him. You see, the, the temple... This most sacred thing, Solomon's temple, something that the, the Israelites were so proud of. The gold was melted down out of it. It had inlaid gold all over it. The Babylonians melted that gold down, stole all of the uh, furnishings out of the temple and took them back to Babylon. But they didn't stop with stealing all of the artifacts. They burned the place to the ground and destroyed the temple. They then went after the palace and robbed it and burned it down. And then every wealthy home in Jerusalem was destroyed. 
virtually nothing left but a pile of stinking rubble. Is what Jeremiah walked out of prison to. And he had been warning about this 40 years. And what has he gotten? Ridiculed, hated, thrown in the sewage, thrown in the prison. And he's only been faithful to God. I believe that it was Jeremiah. They don't, it doesn't tell us who wrote the book of Lamentations, but Lamentations means to lament. And if you read that book, he did. In the, each of the chapters of that book is actually a poem. And the first four are an acrostic using the uh, Hebrew alphabet. The fifth one, he just wrote the poem. Forget the alphabet. But in the third chapter... I want to take a look this morning at Jeremiah and his thoughts. I believe it was Jeremiah that wrote it. I believe there's evidence um, that gives that. I'm not going to have you stand yet because I'm going to read some really morbid stuff. But Jeremiah has lived through some really morbid stuff. You wonder why there was a valley of dry bones 70 years later? Here's why. I've just laid it out for you. It's in the Bible and you can read it. But in Lamentations, the third chapter, the first verse through 20, I want to read. This is Jeremiah. He's being honest. And I don't think he's a whole lot different than we would be at this point. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. God's wrath had come upon them for sure. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Remember, he was in prison. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughing stock of all peoples. And I think most of us just give up right there. If people laugh at us, we just can't take it. If we're ridiculed, we just can't take it. But he says the object of their taunts all day long. It wasn't sometimes, it was all the time. People were ridiculing and laughing at him. And all he's doing is trying to do God's will. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on the gravel. In other words, his face was in the dirt. He has made me to cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. 
There's no peace. All is chaos. No peace. He says, I have forgotten what happiness is. After 40 years of ridicule and now two years of siege, he's forgotten what happiness ever was. Wonder if it ever existed. I wonder if some of us deal with that or others around us. Wonder what happiness ever was. And it's only been two years of a pandemic and yet we see such chaos around us. And then he says, so I say, my endurance has perished. God, I'm tired. I can't go on. So has my hope from the Lord. Now he says he's lost hope. Without hope, we have nothing. When you're hopeless and helpless and you can't do anything about your situation, it's a bad day. It's a bad day. And this is what he says. I'm tired. I'm wore out. I have no hope. Remember my affliction and my wanderings. The wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. We read here of a broken man. He's preached for 40 years. Gave everything he had. All he's ever been is ridiculed. No converts. No one followed him. They hated him from the top of the scale to the bottom. Everyone ridiculed him. That's a hard way to live. Most of us wouldn't make it halfway through that. And yet Jeremiah has been steadfast. He's also been honest with God. And folks, it's important that we be honest with God. He knows our situation. He knows it from the beginning to the end. He knows what it's going to be like in the end. But it's important that we are honest with him. We also must be honest with ourselves. And in the next verse, the next word, we read how bad it is. We've heard how bad it is. We know how horrible of a situation. Honestly, I don't think we do. I don't think that we can probably gather. But we've read all that's going on. And Jeremiah now has told us how, what he thinks of it, how he feels about it. And then the next word is but. And there's an awful lot in but. But means we just turned a corner. We're on a new street. And I'm going to ask you this morning, if you would, to stand with me. You see, Jeremiah began to look at his situation. He told the truth about his situation. And then he remembered who God was and what he was. I'm going to ask you to read out loud with me. The next six verses, verses 21 through 26, because this is our hope in a chaotic world, a world of mayhem, a world that doesn't make sense. Man, there's a whole world of people out there that can't wait for it to get back to normal. Let me tell you, this world ain't never been normal. Ever since the fall, it has been chaos. <laughs> Here's what God uh, led uh, Jeremiah as he looked through uh, and wrote down. Verse 21 says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we worship you this morning. <laughs> God, we thank you then in a world of chaos, a, a world that's abnormal as it can be, a world that makes no sense, uh, that we serve one that makes sense of it, uh, one that has mercy on us, uh, one that gives us our portion. God, we thank you for it this morning. Lord, we pray that uh, as we finish this sermon, Lord, that you would uh, open the eyes, ears, the hearts, the minds, the souls of the people. God, that you would use these stammering lips uh, to share with them what you would have them to hear. God, they'd hear nothing more and nothing less. Uh, we'll give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. Uh, for we ask it in Jesus' name, that great name, that wonderful, our Savior, that name. <laughs> Amen. You may be seated. Verse 21 says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Without hope, we are hopeless. I don't know why, but the scene of Rocky being knocked down, bloody, beat to a pulp, but standing up one more time and winning uh, comes to mind when I think of this. We have to have hope. A people that are hopeless are lost and there is a lost and dying world out there. But God gives us hope. We have hope through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is where our hope is. Uh, where is your hope this morning? Because if your hope is in things in this world, you don't realize it yet. Uh, but it will drift away like Zedekiah's power went away. And you'll see things happen when you try to hold on to the things of this world. Listen, they're just not that important. What's coming? Our Jesus, our Savior, is what is important. Jeremiah prophesied for over 70 years, or that in 70 years, for over 40 years he prophesied. In that prophecy, he was telling them that they would be restored. But they had missed that. And folks, we need to look. Our hope is that Jesus Christ is coming back to get his bride. Jesus Christ is not coming back as a baby to be hunted. He's coming back as a conquering Savior riding on a horse uh, with his name written on his thigh and he's bringing his army with him. You remember that army that he stood up? Yeah, I think that's the army that's going to be coming back. I want to be a part of that army. That's the army of God. A great army, he says. Uh, Jesus is coming back. Uh, in verse 22, he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Think about this. If for one second God's mercies ended, just for one second, we'd all be gone like that. The mercy of God keeps us where we are. He's what gives me the next heartbeat. He's what gives you the next breath that you'll take. He owns it and he gives it to you. He is our hope. He, his mercies are new every morning, it says in verse 23. New every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Think about this. His mercies are great, and they're renewed every morning. When the sun went down last night, and it rose up this morning, and you woke up, his mercies were new 
brand new. They were as powerful as they were the first time they were given. They were as powerful as they were a thousand years ago. They're as powerful this morning as they were yesterday morning and all last week and all last month and over the last two years. His mercies, you're here, I'm here because of His mercies. His mercies are new every morning. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. His mercies are new. Over your lifetime, the mercies, every day were new. Every second of the day, he had mercy and he loved you. He's loved us beyond what we could ever imagine. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God there is no end to his mercies. And then he says, the Lord is my portion. My soul, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Once again, the word hope. But he says, he is my portion. And that's the piece that Wednesday night, it was in a song that we sang. It hit me, he is my portion. <laughs> Can you imagine how small the portions of Jeremiah were to eat while he was stuck in prison in this siege? Prisoners are not the first ones to get fed. When he says, the Lord is my portion, He's no longer talking about food. He's talking about the sustaining power of God. He says, God is my portion. And I don't know about you, but when I think about portions, <laughs> look at me. <laughs> when I think about portions, I remember as a little kid those family gatherings. I remember, I'm kin to like half of the countryside in southwest Missouri. Uh, my mother's maiden name was Swearingen. And there is a large contingent of them. My grandparents were third cousins. My grandma didn't have to change her last name when they got married. And so on holidays, we could go to two clans worth of people with the same last name. Lots of food. But I remember... Uh, on, my, on my grandma's side, uh, my great-grandma was still alive. She was a wonderful lady, and her family honored her by gathering both on Thanksgiving and Christmas for a huge dinner. A hundred people would show up. That's how big her family was. I got cousins I don't even know. But every one of them could cook, and they all brought their best dish. And I'm telling you, there was a table that almost went out of sight with good food on it. And I remember having to stand in line to wait to get the food. My parents would snatch me so that I'd get first in line, because I'd go get first in line. Never was afraid of food. And I would wait my turn and finally get there, the end of the table, get my plate. Hopefully it was one of them big old round ones like this. Silverware, napkin, stuff them in my pocket. And now we've got the turkey and the ham and the fried chicken and the roast and whatever else has been made, and that's just the meat. And then we would move down the table to the potatoes, potato casserole, mashed potatoes, whatever there was, and the green beans, the green bean casserole. And I skipped right on over the beets. Just never stop there. 
and I've got dressing and I've got green beans and corn. Sometimes it's creamed. Whatever it is, man, I mean, we had corn. And then there'd be cauliflower, broccoli, something mixed up with bacon and eggs, and man, it was good. And my plate's already getting full. And he come along, and somebody brought salad. <laughs> now, what in the world are you bringing salad? Ain't nobody on a diet here, okay? <laughs> but we had salad. Onto the Watergate salad and the oh, grandma, grandma made rolls. She rolled them things out, let them rise up. Big old pans of them. They're like this tall. Man, you tear them open, put some. Oh my goodness! If Mama and Daddy wasn't looking. I'd have more than two. My portion. My, you get to the table and you got stuff falling off of your plate. Why? Family brought it in. There'd be leftovers. My mom and dad wouldn't let me get back in line for seconds until everybody else had been through. But I would get my portion. And then I would get my portion. But I'm telling you, when God sets a table for you, you can get your portion. And that's what Jeremiah is talking about here. There's peace in the chaos. God gives us our portion. You can have as much of him as you want. You can go back for seconds and there's no waiting in line. He supplies for us in the middle of a chaotic life, in the middle of all that's going on in this world. We can have the peace that passes understanding inside. God will give us all of us, all of him that we want. We can have that much. How much? There's no end to it. He is our portion. You see, it's not being in prison and just getting a little bit. It's getting all you want. You can go to prayer. He wrote you a love letter to tell him all about himself. And you can read as much as you want, and he'll reveal things to you that you've never imagined. He can't wait. He's right here. He left it for you. Get on your knees and begin to talk to him. Begin to pray with him. He'll give you portions. You can have the biggest portion you want. You can, have, you can go back for dessert. You can have seconds, any way, shape, or form. Thirds, however many plates you want. He'll give you all you want. He is your portion. He is my portion. As God began to reveal that to me and share it with me this week, <laughs> I can't help but worship him. Thank God. We had just a little portion a while ago. Right? But I want a lot more. I can't wait to stand around the throne, down up and down the sides of the crystal sea with those that have gone on before me and get all kind of portion. He has that for us. It's waiting. He's coming back for us. This old world is not my home. He is my portion. He is my hope. That is my hope. My Savior is coming back. Listen, I messed it up a lot. But he's forgiven. Says the 25th verse, The Lord is good to those who wait on him, to the soul who seeks him. He is my hope. And the waiting is the hard part. It's the hardest thing. You don't even have to do anything. Just Wait. It is so hard 
to wait on the Lord. But as He is our hope, we need to understand what we're waiting on. I read a headline earlier this week. It's amazing when you're studying and things will just pop out to you. And I was reading a news line. It said, uh, it was talking about a guy, a man, who has lost everything. He was ultra rich, worth billions. And now they call him the king of debt. He held on to this world. He's gone from ultra rich to the king of debt now in a headline. But I can tell you that someday the headline's going to read this. The king of kings and lord of lords who paid the debt has come back for us. The one who has all the riches owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's the one that I hope in. That's the one who's coming back for me. And I'm waiting on him. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And the waiting becomes a huge, huge struggle. Hard to do. But, like Lazarus of old, when Jesus is three days late, he's right on time. His timing is perfect. And folks, when you think it's hopeless and it's beyond anything, he begins to rattle the bones and to raise up his great army. And that's what he's doing today. That's what the cry is going out from the pulpit today. Folks, it's time that we begin to act like his army. We've been adopted into his kingdom. He is our savior. We are princes and princesses. If you can look around you, you set among royalty this morning. We've been adopted into his family, and he will not let us down. He is coming back for his bride. He will take us to heaven. But the waiting, the waiting is a struggle. He says that those who wait on him, seek him. That's what I was talking about a while ago. Get in the Bible. Read. Study. Get to know him. I mean, why would you not want to get to know the one you're going to spend eternity with? You want to know everything you can about the one who paid the debt you could never pay. The one who is ultra rich. The one who spoke this world into existence. That's the one that we want to study. We want to seek. Verse 26 says, It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This waiting quietly is a hard thing. I think what he's saying here is, Jeremiah, shut up and quit your whining. Now he didn't because you can go on and read. He was honest. But I, I, Jeremiah, I'm going to take care of it. It's going to be all right. I'm your portion. And just wait quietly because I'm going to take care of it. I'm not done. In fact, I haven't even gotten started. I'm over here rattling bones. I'm putting the army together. And there's a day coming and I'm going to show up. And I'll take care of things. Just wait quietly. Salvation is coming. Folks, in our lives, it is so hard at times to wait. And the waiting makes no sense in this world. But as I studied this week, I came to uh, John, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 9. We just happened to show up at the pool of Bethesda. The first verse says, After 
this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which, is, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids. Life's broken down. They're blind. They're lame. And they're paralyzed. But Jesus had an appointment with one man this day. He said one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. He's unable to walk. He can't get up. He can't go anywhere. He's been there for 38 years. His family's given up on him. His friends have given up on him. When the waters are stirred, uh, people jump in front of him. Nobody pays any attention to him any longer. But Jesus had a divine appointment with him on this day. When Jesus saw him lying there, by the way, Jesus didn't just accidentally see him. Jesus knew he was there all along. And he came to Jerusalem this day to meet him. And I wonder who this morning is here and Jesus came to meet you today. Don't miss him. It says that Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. And he said, do you want to be healed? And I believe Jesus asked that question today. Do you want to be healed? Do you want your life changed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down in front of me. You see, hurt people don't care about other people. They're so self-absorbed, they didn't worry about the man that had been there 38 years. All they could think about was their own situation. And too often, we as people, all we can think about is our own situation. But I'm telling you, get your head up and look around because somebody's got it way worse than you do. And if you'll begin to try to follow the Lord's will and help that person, you'll forget all about your situation. And suddenly, God will begin to work in your life. And it'll be amazing how your problems will dwindle away. But here we see all they could think about was themselves. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus just said, get up, take up your bed and walk. We don't need to wait on anybody. You see, we have access to Jesus. He paid the debt, remember? He paid the debt. We can come to him at any time. We can bring our problems whatever it is in our life, whatever it is in your life that's going on, we can go straight to Jesus with it. He said, get up and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Chris, if you guys would come. Folks, I believe that God is moving in a mighty way. He's just beginning to stir the waters and it's up to us to reach out and to get our portion.